You're listening to Agency Highway. This is a podcast for agencies that want to grow their business and work less. Agency Highway is sponsored by Content Snare, a platform that helps digital agencies gather content from clients without digging through a storm of emails, huge attachments, and messy Google Docs. Sign up at contentsnare.com and use the chat widget to say you heard about Content Snare on Agency Highway, and you'll get a 30-day trial instead of the typical 14. Now, here's this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to Agency Highway. This is episode 139 about information architecture, specifically WTF is information architecture, with my friend Joe Minnie from House Digital. Joe, thanks for joining me. You are most welcome. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I just heard this is, you've done many presentations before, but never a podcast. So Correct. Anyway. I have never done a podcast before. I've done a couple of audio interviews, but never yeah. a podcast. So this yeah. is exciting for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you'll be fine. I've seen you present. I like, yeah, I, some people get nervous with podcasts and that, but I feel like you're not one of those people. You're probably going to uh, smash it. I'm really good at faking it. <laughs> um. I am kind of excited for this because um, in my SEO research uh, of a competitor of ours, Gather Content, so they've become, it's funny, like you look at the Wayback Machine and uh, they started as what Content Snare did, like gathering content from clients for websites. And then they became like this almost full-blown CMS thing for enterprise. You know, they're like an enterprise level tool now. But in their content and SEO, I've seen information architecture mentioned a bunch of times. I just assumed it was something that like enterprises talk about <laughs> and uh, never understood what it was. Yeah, look, you're not wrong there. Um, <laughs> it is kind of something that mostly only enterprise level companies talk about, but that's not because they're the only people that should be talking about it. It's mm-hmm. just because they're the only people that uh, have enough time and money on their hands to train people to learn what it is. Uh, So I've kind of made it my own personal mission to, um, I guess, demystify it a little bit for people who, uh, because I think really what it comes down to is I want to make the internet a nicer place to hang out and information architecture is essentially the way that we do that. Okay. And yep, this is something I want to know more about. You know, it's like, it sounds like it's really a content marketing thing, right? Uh, look, cool. it's it's not necessarily content marketing. I guess um, if you want to break it down to like its rawest description, I guess information architecture is the practice of deciding kind of how to arrange different parts of something so that it's easily understood. So you have a lot of information on um, a website, for example, and it's not just a website. It could be software. Mm-hmm. Or it could be um, a book that you're writing or or anything, right. really. Uh, you have a lot of information that needs to be presented in a specific way. And some people do that really well and some people don't. And unfortunately, the majority of people don't because um, often when we are presenting information to others, we're doing it from our own perspective and our own context and not from the context and perspective of the people who are actually using our product and therein lies the problem. Oh, man. Yeah. You're speaking my language. Uh, It's the uh, bane of my existence is trying to make everything as simple to understand for like everyone as possible, right? Like that's the biggest thing in in, like content snare, right? We've got this client interface that someone who's completely non-technical could be using. And even our UX designer sometimes he's like, no, everyone will want, like people know how to use that. I'm like, want to bet? <laughs> want to bet? Like, and and it's got, it's flipped over to the, in our business now to the point where it's like, we just assume that no one will understand how to use anything. And we have to try and put as much effort into as possible to make it 
as easy to use as possible. And I, information architecture sounds like it's that same thing, but applied to like, well, in this case, we're probably talking about websites given that's the audience here, but um, yeah, like never assume that someone's going to know how to find something or how to, how to use something. Correct. Yeah. I think, and that's something that I think is a really important part of information architecture is not taking for granted that what you've come up with is the best solution, mm. um, but actually testing it on the people that are actually mm. going to be using it. Um, and user testing is something that I think has been around for a long time, but isn't necessarily done well. Like everyone knows what it is, but they're like, oh, it seems really hard. It's not. It's so easy to do if you have the tools and the basic knowledge to be able to actually implement it. Are we going to be talking um, about user testing today? Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm keen to. I, I think I would love to get into that a little bit because there are some yeah. really simple tools that I think a lot of people aren't aware how powerful they can be. Um, That's awesome. So. No, I, I'm actually really curious because I've just asked a friend of mine to come on this podcast who has like a user testing platform and we've used it and it's awesome. Um, and Amazing. Yeah, and I'm going to, so the next episode pretty much <laughs> for people listening well, is going to be all about like deep dive into user testing. So we can do a little uh, teaser here as well, Joe. I like it. I yeah. uh, I will definitely be listening to that episode as well nice. uh, myself because I'm always keen to know what else is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me, James, when you are visiting a website, why are you visiting a website? It depends what it is, I guess. But for the most part, it's going to be to read a blog post. That's the most often I'm going to be Googling something and trying to get my question answered. So you're doing research. Yeah. 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 So that's one of kind of four main reasons that people visit a website. So there's been a lot of like psychology and testing and stuff that's gone into this. And there's loads of resources where you can read about this. But basically, we go to a website for one of four reasons. And one of those is research um, or exploratory seeking. That's another one. So there's a little bit of a difference there between exploratory seeking and exhaustive research. Okay. Um, so if you're just kind of trying to find an answer to something, that would be exploratory seeking. So what you're talking about there, that's exploratory seeking. And then if, say, I'm doing a presentation on information architecture, then I'm going to be doing exhaustive research. I want to know everything that there is to know yep. about a particular topic. Mm-hmm. So that's two of the things. Any any guesses what the other two are? Um um, I was going to say purchasing something, but like that's probably part of one of those. You could almost be rolled in. I don't know. No, it. I think that kind of um, falls under one of the other two okay. that we're missing. So we've got exploratory seeking, exhaustive research. The next one's known item seeking. So uh, basically, I know that I want to buy a microphone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I strongly uh, encourage you, if you don't have a microphone, go check out this one. Uh, James. <laughs> James told me to buy, so yeah, uh, the Rode NT1 USB for people listening. It's still, I mean, it's it's not like a crazy microphone, but it's lasted me this time, the amount of time, and for a couple hundred bucks, it's it's up there. You don't have to go and spend like eight hundred like some people do. Obviously, they have better audio, but this is possible, and yeah, yeah, yeah it does the job. <laughs> um, and it was one hundred and seventy nine bucks from JB Hi Fi, so go get and that's it. Aussie it's dollars. Right so now. for the Americans yeah. listening, it must be like four dollars over there. That's about the same. <laughs> I think that's about right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so known item seeking, like I want to buy a microphone. I'm going to go looking for a microphone. Mm -hmm. That's pretty easy to understand. And then the last one is refinding. So basically I know something exists on a website and I want to find it again. 
And we actually use that a lot. So things like login buttons are a great example of refinding. So um, we we often, when we're interacting with a navigation, a great example of refinding that I um, I like to use when I'm talking about this with clients is where do you go when you're looking for a contact page? Like in the navigation. Yeah, you go mm. to the header and specifically if I've got five things in my header, which of those five items will be my contact page? Mm. It will be the one on the right-hand side because it's oh. always the one on the right-hand side because right. people expect to go uh, to the right for the contact page. So if you have a typical website, um, generally speaking, if you've got five tabs and one of them is home and one of them is about and one of them is contact, home's going to be the first one, about's going to be the second one, contact's yep. going to be the fifth one. And people will often say, oh, but, you know, the about page isn't the most important page and it might not be, but people expect to see it there. So there is actually a value in still Hmm. putting it where people expect. So interesting. Now I know, I don't know if I should have an about page. We removed ours completely from the header. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Often it, I think it, it really depends. So I've got a lot of clients where we don't have their about page or their contact page in their main header. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have like a secondary toolbar and um, contextual menus are, are a great option for the right things. So like having a contact page on say a government website doesn't really make sense because Mm -hmm. that's not what they're encouraging people to do. They're trying to discourage people from contacting them. Yeah. Um, and having an about page doesn't really make sense either because, you know, people already know what they do. They're there to find something specific. So again, it, it really comes down to like looking at how and why the people that are using your website are doing so. So I guess with that example of the home about and contact, that's sort of a typical small business website. So like a plumber or a, um, you know, a a little corner, like not corner shop, but. I was thinking like a service based business. It makes a lot of sense, right? Like for us, we have a tour page. That's kind of like about, right? It's it's a a product, you know? Absolutely. But something you said there really um, struck a nerve with me with the login button uh, because like that drives me nuts that we have to have a login button on the on the header, like in that prime real estate. But it is, I don't know what the percentage is. It's it's huge. It's like 40% of the people that come to our homepage click on the login button or something. I can't remember the number, but it's massive. It's, you know, a huge proportion adjust on our website to go to the login page. So having it buried in the footer where it used to be, like it doesn't make yeah. a lot of sense. Right? No, it doesn't. And it drives you know, me nuts now when I go to a SaaS or another product and they don't have a login, like right there. <laughs> yeah, I I use a lot of those products as a developer myself. And I can tell you that uh, if I go to their website and I can't find the login button, it's probably going to make me angry enough to look for an alternative. So wow. I'm really glad, really glad that you have one up there in your header now, James. Nice. Uh, so. We're getting, we're going through a rebrand now. And I, I believe there was not a login button to start with. And I was like, no, we need one. <laughs> good call. Good call. Um, so I guess when you're looking at a website, you can really kind of categorize your, the way that you're, you're looking for the information as either needing to find a specific thing or like, maybe you need a thing. I'll see. So like if you're looking for, if you're doing research, for example, mm-hmm. then you, you're you not really sure exactly what you need. You're just trying to collect and gather information. But if you're looking to buy a microphone, then you're looking for something specific. And that's what we call user intent in the user experience world. Um, and user intent really, I think, needs to be taken into consideration when you're mapping out what the architecture of your website is going to look like. Sure. And um, a lot of that comes down to 
um, navigation and your homepage because generally when people are in that needing a specific thing um, mindset, they're more likely to be on desktop. They're more likely to go to a navigation menu or a search bar um, and they're less likely to just kind of scroll down the homepage. But when someone's in that, you know, uh, maybe I'm trying to choose a gym or I'm um, trying to you know, choose a piece of software. They're not necessarily looking for something specific. They're kind of sussing you out. And they're the kind of people that are more likely to be doing it from mobile and more likely yeah. to be scrolling because um, it's easier and humans are really lazy. So, yeah. Um, I, yeah, trying to get into the mindset of those different types of people that are using your website because you're always going to have both is is a really valuable way of making sure that it's going to meet everyone's needs so and that's, not just one person. Well, that's like a thing there. So how how do you know? Is it is it, do you just sit down and sort of give it a bit of thought? <laughs> you know, like no, nah, it doesn't. Do you know it doesn't matter coming? what you think. <laughs> like you know, but like, how do you work out who's coming to your website? Is this you know, are we recording people? Because I know that's like a thing you can record where people are sending their mouse or whatever. Like yeah, interviewing sure. customers. What are we doing? That's a huge thing. Um, so if you've already got a website, that's a hundred percent what you should be doing. Like Google Analytics is great, sure, but uh, Hotjar, Hotjar is where it's at. Um, mm. That's that's probably my favorite. Um, user testing tool is is Hotjar because you can actually record how people are interacting with your web, website and you can even do things like just look at rage clicks. Do you know what a rage click is? I'm sure you know like, what a rage click is. Like heaps of crap it, at the same time. Yeah, it's where you expect something to... Now, I think I've, I've mentioned this term to you before, Jimmy, and you were like, I, I don't really understand what that is. And it's fake pockets of the internet. Uh-huh. They are responsible for many a rage click. And... Uh-huh. And you were like, is that when you have like a suit jacket and it's like tacked up? No. Uh, <laughs> let me let me explain to you. All of the all of the lady listeners right now are like, oh, I hate fake pockets. And the guys are like, I don't really get it. Unless like like my husband, they have a wife who is very passionate about fake pockets. So I'm gonna break this down for you right now. This is a little like sidebar feminism uh, <laughs> on the podcast. Okay. So women's clothing does not have pockets. Mm-hmm. The pants that I'm wearing at the moment do not have pockets. There's no reason they don't have pockets. Uh, they just don't. It's it's a thing. <laughs> Women's clothing doesn't have pockets. Uh, and it sucks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I can imagine. It it It's pretty horrible. So I own uh, like two sets of pant, gym pants without pockets, and they're my most hated right? pants. So Exactly. Feel, yeah. So imagine how much worse it would be if you bought a pair of pants thinking they had pockets because they look like they have pockets. But when you go to use them, they're not actually pockets. They just they just look like pockets. Like they're literally, they've gone to the work of making something look like it has pockets without putting in that tiny, inexpensive piece of fabric that allows you to put your phone in them. Imagine how frustrating that would be, James. <laughs> I see where like, this is going and I love it. Oh, do you man. get it? Like, yes. like, you go to put your hand in there and nothing happens. And I I love this analogy because yeah, we've all been in that situation where we've gone to a website and we've hovered over an item in the navigation menu and we've clicked on it. And it pops up a menu. Is that what it pops doing? up a menu or something yeah. and then nothing happens. Yeah. And it turns out that uh, maybe there's like one thing underneath it. So... So you have to go to that one thing in the sub menu and mm-hmm. click on it to actually get to where you need to go. Fake pocket, James. Fake pocket. And there's, right? I can see this like being like elements on a page too, right? Like we've had, you know, we had like a listing of um, 
industries that Content Snare can work with and they kind of look like clickable things because they yes. were intentionally designed to be them, but we didn't have the landing pages yet. Um, so we kind of changed them so they didn't look that clickable, but everyone still tried to click them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we did. I, I posted a, a screenshot of my new website on Instagram and I had someone message me saying the button's not clickable. Whoa. Like... <laughs> you got to be really careful and think about how people on the internet interact with your stuff. And, like, that's obviously an extreme version. It doesn't um, surprise me at all. I feel like some of the conversations that was more on them than it was on me. Yeah, 100%. But avoid fake pockets. It really confuses people. They need to know what they're getting in for. And we don't. We get scared if we don't know what something is going to do and if it doesn't do what we expect it to do. So be authentic and be honest in what it is that you're giving to people. If they're going to click on a button and that button says, uh, get a quote, don't make it pop up with a contact form. Like, you know, contact us for a free quote. Sure. But if it's going to say, get a quote, make sure that it Uh, allows them to get a quote because people, if, if people have see something on a website and they click on it and it doesn't do what they expect it to do or what they want it to do, they're immediately losing trust in you. And if they lose trust in you, they're not going to give you their money, which is really what we're all out there for, right? Mm -hmm. We're out there for people to give us something. That's that's why we build a website. We don't do it out of the kindness of our hearts. And even if we do, we probably still want them to donate or we want them to take action or something. Mm -hmm. So um, regardless of what the purpose of your website is, you need to be authentic and honest with your users. Otherwise, they're not going to keep coming back. Yeah, that's massive. Like, yeah, I can't. I'm just trying to think of other examples, which I'm going to ask you for in a minute about other examples of fake pockets. But, you know, I can definitely relate to like clicking on things and having something that I didn't expect happen or not get caught, not getting quite what I wanted. You know, it's like the old clickbait headlines. And that, that's essentially a, it's Pretty like much. a half fake pocket where like you, you click on it and you're like, that's what, that's absolute crap. It's nothing to do with, you just said that to get me here and whatever, but it's frustrating and everyone got over it because that's what happens. Yeah. Look, mm. I think it's it's so important to understand the basics of psychology when you're designing a website and mm. every designer and developer and, um, you know, UX person becomes a kind of a amateur psychologist if they're doing their job well um, because we have to start thinking about these things. So um, I, I really like this idea of um, there's there's three things that we have to take into account um, about whether or not someone is likely to resonate with a particular thing that they're going to click on. So take a login button, for example, right? If you call it login, everyone knows what that means. But if you call it something wacky, like get started um, and not, you know, what it actually is, then they're not necessarily going to uh, resonate with it. And the same thing comes, uh, I work with a lot of organizations. So um, my business, we're a very small web agency and we only, uh, we work with kind of three main types of clients. Um, and one of those is organizations. And I use that term for lack of a better word, but basically if they've got like a board or a committee or something that runs them, uh, then they probably fall into the category of clients that we would typically work with. And one of the biggest problems that we see in this area is that the language that they use um, and the, um, the background knowledge that they have in their field, in their domain, is so specific and they assume everyone else has that knowledge as well. Yeah, this is, um, 
it's uh, I was always, I was actually thinking about this before when you were talking about like uh, I don't know just assuming that everyone has like your knowledge. I can't remember the exact words you use, but there's actually a, word, a phrase, a name for this. It's called the curse of knowledge. And it's like the opposite of the Dunning-Kruger effect where people yes. like they know a little bit about something. They think they know everything, whatever. But it's like when you are so into something, when you know so much about something, it's really, really difficult to think that other people don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love like, that. I always think that the opposite of the Dunning-Kruger effect is imposter syndrome. Um, I have like a whole TED talk planned about it one day. I'm going to, that's my, one of my goals is by the time I'm 40, I want to do a TED talk and it's going to be cool. My working title, because I don't think that Ted's going to accept this. um, Like, am I allowed to like moderately swear on your podcast? Yes, go for it. Sweet. Um, So the working title is you're either an imposter or an asshole. Ah. Um, Because I feel like most of us, uh, we are somewhere on a spectrum of imposter syndrome to Dunning Kruger effect. So, right. Nice. I um, like it. Uh, and I that, feel like someone needs to really kind of yeah. be like, you know, if you feel like you don't know anything, then that's probably a good thing because mm-hmm. the alternative, if you think you do know everything, yeah, that's that's probably where you should start getting worried. I saw, I saw Zapier actually had wrote a post recently um, that I really like the title of. It said, actual imposters don't get imposter syndrome. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah, that. That's quite good. Um yeah. Anyway. So, okay. How? <laughs> so, yeah. I love. I love these little cider. Yeah, hundred percent. I'd like so, to talk about like actually planning a site. You know, well, you were talking about the the clients you work with with the um the language. Sorry, let's go back to that and then talk about like how to yeah, actually plan no, a site. I, I think it it pretty much that is kind of the next part. But the first mm-hmm. thing is um, the language is, I guess, part of that. Um, so it's not a, you don't just pick the language and then roll with it. You've got to make sure that you're testing that just the same as everything else mm-hmm. in in information architecture. So um, you basically need to look at um, like practice, recency and context. They're the three things when you're looking at language. So if you think about any kind of bit of information or thing that is in your memory as a chunk, right? This is a very technical term. It's <laughs> It's a chunk. Right. And it can get activated in our brain and we can measure how easily something is activated. Right. Mm-hmm. So something that you've practiced a lot, like login, because I like every SaaS product I have has a login button. I've practiced it a lot. So I'm familiar with it. I know that I'm going to find it in the top right hand corner, maybe the top left hand corner of the screen in the header. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's familiar. So. Um, a good example of like activation of content in your memory is your name. Uh, so if I wake you up at like 5 a.m., uh, wait, is that early for most people? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's definitely okay, early cool, for me. Cool. I, I just wanted to make sure because I am definitely not a morning person. <laughs> there are As some you well people know. Are, like 5 a.m. club hashtag. No. Gross. Uh, so <laughs> let's say that, um, let's say that I wake you up at 3am, right. Um, I would have just gone to bed by then, but, um, <laughs> I've just woken you up and I ask you what your name is. You're probably going to respond pretty quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. But if I wake you up and ask you what the name of your first grade teacher was, that might take you a little bit longer because you haven't practiced that as much as you practice your own name. Right. It's also nowhere near as recent. So that's two of the things, practice and recency. And then the other one is context. So um, does it make sense in the context of everything else that's around it and the purpose of your website? So they're kind of the three things that we want to be taking into account when we're looking at the language of, of how we're putting together you know, things like buttons and navigation items mm. and stuff like that. 
Yeah. So if you are talking to someone, you know, who's an accountant, for example, and you yeah. can probably use some of the words that accountants use because you expect that they use it every day, but not if it's something that they might not have encountered for a while. Yeah, exactly. So um, I I really love um, like what is recent and commonly used for you or for an accountant is mm. not necessarily going to be the same as what's commonly used for a web designer. No, right? of and, course not. And you yeah. don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So you want that's why you want to make informed choices and you want to actually ask the people that hundred percent yeah creating something for you know this reminds me of something I don't even know if it's true. I read years ago that Elon Musk basically said no acronyms in like the company in company emails and stuff, which I thought was really cool. And I kind of that I try to use that you know where I can and you know on like Twitter and stuff because I might say PM instead of project management, and I'm like wait. You know, like a lot of people are not going to realize what that means. Like, so yeah. it's just having a blanket, like no acronyms policy, I thought was quite cool. Yeah, that is very cool. Um, so how do you feel about brainstorms? Uh-huh. Is we're going to do one now? No, we're not, we're not going to do one now. We don't have time to do one oh, now. Oh, no, I like me, brainstorms. <laughs> brain, brainstorms are uh, basically the first, like you asked what the process is for putting mm. together a website. And that's basically where you start um, as right. a brainstorm. And um, I think, there's a lot of misconceptions around what is and isn't a brainstorm. Mm-hmm. And in the context of what I'm talking about, so whether or not this works for every concept of brainstorming, but for this particular activity of putting together a navigation of a website or a platform or something like that, um, I think it's really important to understand that there are no bad ideas, right? There's, okay. there's, you can't be wrong in a brainstorm because that's the next step is, is curating and sorting and all of that kind of stuff. So um, I I do this a lot with really large groups, so um, like government departments and um, like large nonprofits and like churches and stuff like that. And um, this is a tip for anyone who, especially if you're getting paid to run a session, um, it can be really daunting. Um, so I've got a few things that I like to do to kind of break the ice there, but also to make them as effective as possible. And one of them is that I try and get everyone to start with um, the worst idea ever. So <laughs> like, and I can't remember where I picked this up from. It's definitely not something I invented. Uh, I think I heard it on a podcast once or something, but the worst idea ever is a great way of getting everyone sort of out of the mindset of what I say has to be right. Right. Um, so if you challenge everyone to be like, okay, what's the stupidest thing that you can think of to put on your website um, and then work backwards from there, then you're going to get a lot more creativity than if you're like, okay, so what's the most important thing that users are going to want to find on your website? Yeah, I like that. It's uh, I'm really like concerned with where my minds went. I want to know some bad ideas that you've heard in these sessions. <laughs> oh, I, I will tell you some of them, but maybe not when we're recording. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of the same with where, where my mind went. Uh, with, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, that's funny. I, 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 like I have that. actually had examples though, like where we've done this and the really bad idea, actually, it was a way of someone who maybe didn't feel confident because their boss is in the room of bringing something up that they thought was actually kind of a good idea oh. and were maybe not comfortable to say otherwise so right. it's actually spurred some really great opportunities and some really great um conversation about 
things that might otherwise not have been discussed. So starting with the worst idea ever is a great way of, yeah. of really making sure that you get the most out of the brainstorm. Yeah, I like it. Um, and there's something you said before about no ideas are wrong. Like I try to do that when, even when it's just me brainstorming, if, I don't know if it still yeah. counts as a brainstorm if it's just one person. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, you know, I was, I always try to write down every idea I have, even if they're stupid because, well, on the surface, because sometimes that spurs something else. Exactly. I ended up with like this list of things, whatever, or a mind map. And you look at something you thought was dumb and you're like, actually, that gives me an idea for something else. And, and you end off down a different trail of where a good idea might come from. Yeah, for sure. Um, so involving as many people as you can in the brainstorm is really valuable as well. So if you've got committees or boards or staff members, favorite customers, um, they love it. Like, honestly, when whenever I've had a situation where we've been able to invite customers into the room and ask them to participate, yeah. they adore it because, and it, like it's so good for the client as well, because those people are going to be your ambassadors and your fans mm. for the rest of like the working life of that business. Mm. Um, so getting your customers in and getting them to participate and getting your partners in as well. So I work with a lot of other small businesses because we don't do graphic design. So if someone wants a logo, I send them to a graphics designer. Um, if someone wants copywriting, I send them to a copywriter. If someone wants photography, I send them to a photographer. Um, so having like asking those people for you know what they want, what what they'd like to see on the mm. website as well. Um, those people are often the best source of referrals for me. So making sure that my website is meeting their needs is just uh, as important as making sure it meets my customers' needs because right. often they're going to be the first port of call, right? Yeah. Um. So more brains make better storms. That's, I guess, nice. the thing to Portable. take away there. Yeah. <laughs> you can have that. I have a little note here of like more brains make better storms. Is, like, that, is, is that one yours? Uh, I think it is, but I, I, I don't want to claim it in case like I stole it off to someone else. So um, <laughs> I know it's definitely something I say a lot. So right, nice. Um, yeah, but yeah, don't worry about duplicates. Don't worry about sorting. Just like get as much out as fast as you can. Like mm -hmm. quick and dirty. It doesn't matter if they're scribbles, as long as someone can kind of mildly read them. What, what kind of things are on this list, though? Like, is this everything? Like things that should go on the homepage. What yeah, should go on the sure. main menu? Like. Yep. So yeah. I call them chunks and I purposely avoid saying like pages or sections or anything like mm -hmm. that. Um, because um, when you say chunk, it really stops people from being, um, from locking themselves into, oh no, that's not important enough to have its own page. Right. Um, so because all of the sorting and everything gets done later. So, um, you know, the way that I do it, um, and there are lots of, lots of people have different ways of doing this. So um, a, a very traditional way of doing it is using index cards because this um this whole system is actually called card sorting, um, and it's used in um like software development as well. And uh, you know it's a little bit different in in that perspective because you have a specific way you have to phrase it. But when you're doing it for navigation, you're basically brainstorming. And I use sticky notes because they're cheap, they're fast, they're easy, um, and you can just have like a window or something where you can just smack them all up there, and everyone can easily see what's been written down. So. I take a bunch of Sharpies and a whole bunch of sticky notes with me when I'm running a workshop. Mm -hmm. um, and I just get everyone to like smash them out as fast as they can. And then I have one or two people who are runners who are just putting them up on the window. Wow. And, um, and yeah, we basically spend, um, and it depends on the size of the organization. Like I've had one that we did recently where we had um, like, um, I think 40 people over the space of a day um, in blocks of about like eight or 10 
um, that we went through the process with and each time we kind of iterated it. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, you kind of do that. Keep trying to move it and, you know, think about all of the different users and, like, stakeholders and visitors that you're going to have along the way. So once you've done your immediate brainstorm, you're like, okay, what about partners? What about investors? What about Right. So you sort of prompting, you're prompting like, directions for the brainstorm and then... Yeah. And then, like, branching out from there. So, like, I'm trying to envision, like, what kind of things are written on these personas. Is it, like, login button, team yeah. photos, company mission, like, all this just random? Exactly. That's exactly stuff. what it is. So, mm. like, news, locations, um, glossary, services. Um, yeah, right. You know, uh, map, uh, yep. history, like, whatever it is that comes out. That's, it's, like, any bit of content, how, however big or small, that you would want to see on the website. Do you manage WordPress sites for your clients? If so, you should probably check out WP Remote. It's a central platform to manage all of your sites in one place. That includes security, malware, uptime monitoring, and it's even got a built-in staging system. But my favorite feature is the visual regression system that will give you an alert if something breaks on an update so you can get in there and fix it. It was created by the same people behind BlogVault and Melcare. Now, BlogVault is one of the best backup plugins I've used, and it's also trusted by some of the biggest WP maintenance agencies out there like GoWP, WP Buffs, WP Valet. So if these guys rely on it, you know it's rock solid. You can try WP Remote for free and get 10% off any of the paid offerings by going to wpremote.com slash highway. Now let's get back to the show. Right. right, like that—that's—that's that's it in a nutshell. And mm-hmm. every single bit of content goes on its own sticky note. Now, COVID is a thing, unfortunately. So, going in in person and doing this like with sticky notes is not always viable. Um, I think one of the questions you asked me—I don't know if I might—I'm probably jumping ahead, mm-hmm. but you asked me about my favorite tool. Um, hands down, it would have to be Miro. Hey, um, nice. I use Miro and Wim's Love Miro. They're both pretty good. Um, yeah, so um, I use Miro extensively for this process um, because it is so easy to do this in bulk because you can um, bulk add sticky notes. Right. Um, so there's like a bulk mode um, and you I think you have to like right click on it or something to bring it up. But then you can just literally type and just keep typing. And then at the end, it will spit out like 100 sticky notes for you. Oh, wow. It's so fast and it's so good. It's actually my preferred way of doing it now over doing it manually because you're not held up by have people having to write down and yeah. sticky notes flowing off the wall. So yeah, it's like my 100% my favourite way of doing it. Yeah, um, that's cool. So, yeah, yeah. use case. I like that. Yeah, so I guess that's the first step, brainstorming. Um, and then the second step after you've brainstormed is um, like refining, I guess, for lack of a better word. So you have to get a bit ruthless here and mm-hmm. Um, so the first step is obviously getting rid of absolute duplicates and there's always going to be them if you've done this properly because there's going to be multiple people contributing to it. So, um, you know, if you've got two things that are almost identical or are identical, work out which one is the better way of describing something and then throw the other one in the bin. And that's actually a really rewarding thing when you just mm. get to like scrumble up the paper sticky note and throw it over your shoulder. It's like, Oh man, there's no better feeling in the world. Um, it's not quite as that's that's probably the one downside of Miro. You can't yeah. 
delete. They, they need a better animation for like deleting one. So it like scrumples it up and throws it in the bin or Hell something. Hell yeah. Yeah. If you're listening, Miro, I want to see that happen in the next, uh, next release, please. Um, to get rid of like duplicates and then um, compare similar ones. So usually what we do is um, we group next um but sometimes before you can group you do have to refine them a little bit and there might be things that are kind of too similar to really consider them as separate things so i always err on the side of caution when i've got two things that are similar but different um and say leave them both there and like let's work out how to deal with that later um because that's the kind of thing that really should be split tested with your audience so like do i use news or do i use blog for example right um like don't don't decide now. You don't have to. It's so easy to split test. There's so many tools out there. You can use Google Optimize. You can just like old school change it after a month and see which one gets more clicks. Yeah. You can do a poll with your audience. There's, you know, there's loads of ways of doing it. Um, don't worry about it too much now. Just, just say yeah. news slash blog, just write yeah. on the sticky note, news slash blog, and then work it out later. Yeah. Um, so don't get too hung up on it. And maybe there's a less ambiguous description as well. Like don't lock yourself into using that terminology. Maybe there's something that re- resonates even more with your users. Like on my personal blog, I have Joe's ramblings, um, which is a much more appropriate title for my blog because they really are ramblings in case you haven't figured that out from listening to me. <laughs> um, but uh, on like the, um, uh, my, uh, my partner runs a software development company and on his, uh, we call it insights. Because right. that's kind of a little bit more applicable to his audience. They're very much in that corporate space as well. So I like that. That's um, cool. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, for us, neither news nor blog was really applicable because mm-hmm. a lot of them still see, a lot of people still see bloggers being kind of, you know, where you go to get recipes and yeah. um, and and hear people's opinions, um, whereas insights is maybe a little bit more. Yeah. I've seen articles speak. as well. Articles as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so get rid of stuff that you don't want. That's the next bit. Um, think about maintenance. So like, and blog is actually a great example of this. I took my blog off of my my business website. I was like, I don't have time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to blog because I have to blog. Um, I like most of my business comes through word of mouth and referrals anyway. So I didn't need it from a SEO perspective. So like, why do I have a blog? Is it a positioning thing? And if it's a positioning thing, then let's just put it on my personal website because then I can talk about all of the different things that I want to blog about and I don't have to try and customize it, uh, the language and everything to my audience. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually got rid of it completely on my own website. And that's a conversation that I often have with people. You know, they're like, oh, but what if we had a forum? This would be so cool. And then we have a talk about like what is involved with actually monitoring a forum. And they're like, you know what? Maybe a closed Facebook group is going to be a better option for us there. (laughs) So, you know, having that conversation um, before doing all of that stuff and then actually surveying real visitors if you can is is really important. So like past customers, potential customers, partners, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so that was in the that? that was in the process of like what was this what would this example so it, of a survey? I guess if we be? said if we said one number one was brainstorm, number two is refine. So the survey um example might be like um uh yeah, like I, I guess the news versus blog is yeah. an example. So there like to, of, of to, the to sort of settle decisions that you can't like just, yeah. yeah, like if you don't know which way to do something, you think it's too much of a guess, then put that in the survey. So it could be anything yeah. really. 
Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So um, do you know any good tools for doing surveys, James? <laughs> was that was my meant to plug uh, content snare here? <laughs> um, I, don't, I, don't, I actually don't think we're a survey tool yet. We're like collecting information specifically from people. You know, if you don't, you can't just send someone a link and get them to fill it out uh, or get 10 people to fill out the same link yet. We will do that in the future, I think, but uh, not yet. Yeah, I mean, that would be great because that is something that um, – before a lot of these workshops, I actually go through that process with people and um, I'll send them a survey and um, it depends on how I do it, depends on who it is um, to a large degree, but I'll actually send them a survey and be like, what are the top 10 things that you think people need to be able to find on the website? Like, who's your ideal client? What do they need to be able to find? Um, So I did one with a church recently and we sent that out to about 40 people um, and we ended up with a really good start on the brainstorm. So we weren't having to kind of wait for people to think of stuff. I was like, here's, you know, 50 that you guys already suggested. So, um, yeah, that I think being able to collect that ahead of time and collect information ahead of time is a, is really valuable way of starting this process. So yeah, you can use a survey at the start and to settle decisions later. That's yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so we've brainstormed, we've, got rid of all of the crap that we don't need. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next section is to group things. So I usually get the person who is the closest thing that you have to um, your ideal customer or your ideal visitor um, to do this. So like when we were doing it with the church, um, we didn't actually have someone other than um, like everyone that was there was to some degree involved in the church, but we had the person who um, specifically um her job is to answer the phone. She's the receptionist. Right. Her job is to take calls from everyone from ministers to people who are looking to get married to, so she deals with all different kinds of mm-hmm. things. And so we got her to group at first because she's kind of covers both sides. Right. Um, and uh, and then you get the first person to do it and then you iterate that. So each time, and there's a couple of different ways that you can do card sorting. It's There's loads of, lo- like if you just Google card sorting, there are so many resources out there that will tell you okay. the best way to do it. Um, but basically there's two kind of major ways that you can do card sorting. So one of them is open card sorting and the other is closed card sorting. So in one of them, you kind of name the groups uh, first, and then you get people to sort each of the little sticky notes into which group they think it goes in. So you might have like about services, programs, yeah. um, contact or something or resources, mm-hmm. and then they have to sort it into whatever they think. And then you usually will have like another group for I'm not sure. And then that's those I'm not sure ones generally will either end up in the footer because they're things that people are like, well, I don't know, because I don't really care about them, uh, in which case it's probably your terms and conditions and privacy policy, which the only people that read those are Google and lawyers. So, <laughs> um, or, you know, maybe it's something that um, needs more explanation and, um, and hasn't really been well thought through if it doesn't fit into one of the groups. So that's closed card sorting. And then open card sorting is where you basically say, there's no right or wrong, put them in as many groups as you want. I don't care what those groups are called go nuts. Um, and I find that you get much better results with open card sorting, but it's a lot slower. So it yeah, really depends on that. how much time you've sound, got. It does sound like more intuitive to me to do it that way. Cause like, otherwise you're sort of preempting what the pages are going to be without. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. So often um, what we'll do is we'll do the open card sorting with a small group of people and then mm-hmm. do the closed card sorting with a large group of people. So um, like with the church, that's what we did. We did open first, uh, refined it down into the groups. And then as we iterated through during the day with the different um, stakeholder groups, um, we got them to kind of refine what that kind of, right. so, where that stuff went. So you would, so you use the open sorting to kind of create the groups and then you run through the exact same process again with the same cards with a yep. different group of people, but now there's groups up on the board and they assign it. So you're trying to see if the same things end up in the same groups. So, exactly. Mm. And and when we're doing this in like real life, uh, you know, back in the day when we were allowed to shake hands and things, mm-hmm. uh, when we're doing it using sticky notes, um, we actually just take a, a photo on our phones of what gets sorted and then we take them all down and get them mm. to redo it. Um, or depending on time limitations, because that's usually the thing that decides how well, you can do this. Um, we'll also uh, sometimes we'll have them, the first person sort of do it, and then the next person come along and narrate what they think the thought process was there and what they agree and disagree with. Um, so they'll be like, I think this needs to move over here. And then we have a discussion as a group about that um, right. sort of process. So it's cool. I like this. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. Um, it's really interesting. But, um, and you do definitely get a more, um, I guess, thorough, and a bit, I think a better end result if you're doing open card sorting and you get a lot more insights from it. But you can also, um, you have to be really wary of participant fatigue um, when mm-hmm. you're doing that because um, if you've got a lot of content, like we've had ones where we've had sort of 300 sticky notes that we've had to deal with and that can be a little intense. So, um, you know, close sorting, it's obviously faster, but you're kind of forcing your preconceived notions mm. onto them and and that's not necessarily ideal. Yeah. So, yeah. It's lots of snack breaks then. Get some sugar into them. Yeah, basically. Um, I always try and, like, break it up so that there's never more than two hours at a time, um, and and that works really well. Yeah, cool. All right, so, so is, that the, is that the last step? Was there, Now we've got to order uh, them within the group, so I'm thinking. That, no? That's kind of, look, that is, the ordering is part of that process as well as part of the right. card sorting um, sort of right at the end, but I generally find that a lot of the time um, that's something that, can kind of be done with a smaller group. Um, Mm. So getting the majority of the content in the right place, um, really the only way to know whether or not you've got the order right is to just keep testing it. Um, And that's a matter of doing it and then just iterating. You can always change things as long as you're not making major changes that are confusing people. Um, Just keep testing. If people are always, you know, have a look at how often people click on different links. If nobody's clicking on the link, get rid of it. Um, you know, or, or put it somewhere else. And a great example of this is people that have testimonials tabs at the top of their menus. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever had a look at a testimonials page on a Google Analytics, but I've never seen one that's actually had uh, a significant number of clicks, maybe one or two. And usually if you actually filter out the ones that are people that are associated with the business or organization, there's, there's zero. Uh, because pretty much the only ones that are going there are people who are like going to copy and paste it because they need to do a social media post or something. Yeah, and when nice. Nobody goes to a testimonials page on your website, um, which is not to say testimonials aren't valuable, right? They are super valuable, but- Just not on its own page. Not on their own page. Because what do you see? Like, what do you think, James, when you see testimonials on someone's website? What goes through your head? Be honest. Oh, uh, God, I don't know. Um, unless I know. 
Who really... curated? Who curated those testimonials, James? Oh yeah, like of course they're going to be biased. I know that, but at the same time, I don't know. I kind of enjoy them a little bit. Uh, but like usually, if they're names I know, like one today, I there was a guy I followed on Twitter, and it was his testimonial on this site. I was like, wow, like that's kind of cool. So yeah. But did you go to a testimonials page or was it just kind of slotted in on the homepage? No, yeah, of course it was slotted in on the homepage. Exactly. And and that's that's one of the conversations that I often have with people where they're like, oh, we've got to have a testimonials page night, but who's going to go there? Like people want to read testimonials about a particular product, put that testimonial on the product page. If they want to read testimonials about a service, you know, correlate it to that service like make it contextual because it's going to mean so much more and absolutely using names that people can actually recognize and photos of actual people for sure but even better than that i would say um this has nothing to do with information architecture this is purely just a personal opinion if you can use testimonials that are actually linked to like facebook or TripAdvisor or mm-hmm. um like google my business or something like that they're going to be so much more valuable because people can actually see that they're real um, versus just having a testimony on a website. They don't look as pretty, but like they are so much more impactful. Yeah. Love it. Sorry. I've just been like, while I'm here, I really, like, I really wanted to see how many people end up on our, we call it success stories. Uh, man, I got sun in my eyes, but um, yeah, we say success stories are about like a set of testimonials. Um, and then it's got a bunch of like case studies and videos on it, but in effect, it's still a testimonials page in the last month. We've had 142 visitors to it. I guarantee that was not all me. Oh, not too bad then. (laughs) Yeah. And look, I have, um, uh, what do I have? I, I don't have a, a testimonials page, um, on our website, but I do have a, um, a portfolio, uh, which has, and that has testimony, like each portfolio mm-hmm. link has a testimonial from the client associated with it and that's one of the most visited pages on our website ah, um but again yeah, portfolio like, is important very important for yeah them. and and i think success stories as well like it's it's a story it's not a testimonial so yeah. um i think again the language that you use there is really important yeah. um but also i feel like one of the things content snare does really well um in terms of testimonials is making sure that they get them from people who are well known in the industry because um, a lot of, like, I know for, for myself, when I have a look on the Content Snare website, I recognize 90% of the names of the people that actually the testimonials are from. So uh, I reckon that makes a difference. We're all on the same damn Facebook groups. Uh, it's, 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 it's true. Now, because we're, we're getting different people and it's probably getting less like that at the moment for you anyway, because we're getting accountants and stuff on accountants, there now. So we're going to yeah. have to do like filtering of, uh, of industry types. But um, we're going to have to start wrapping this up because we're otherwise yeah. going to go forever and ever and ever um is there what what comes like are we sort of done through the process now like once we're, s- we're sorting like because uh, w- one thing i'm wondering about is like you know talking about testing and that is this you mm. know is that whacking hot jar on your site and having a little survey that pops up and be like did you find what you were looking for you know i've seen those like what do you do there yeah look that is one of it one of the things that you can do um if you are redoing your website um then you don't have to rush the process of redesigning a website. So you can actually make a lot of those architectural changes before um, and you can, you know, analyze how, like you can look at what the heat map was like before versus the heat map after. So heat maps are a great tool there. Um, One of the things that we really like doing is setting up a dummy site. So it basically doesn't have any content on it. It just has the navigation 
Um, and we purposely make it as like plain as possible um, so that people don't get distracted by the design side of things. Um, and we put hot jar in there, but then we also, um, as part of that, I mentioned that we do a survey before running the workshop. And one of the things that we ask is what are people most likely, like what are your ideal visitors most likely to want to do on the website? And we'll take like, depending on how many there are, maybe it's the top five, maybe it's the top 10 um, for smaller websites. Um, like what are the top five reasons someone will visit your website as part of our website worksheet that um, I know a lot of developers use a similar kind of technique to us um, where they'll get people to fill out a bit of a questionnaire first. And then, um, and so we, we use those as the example of like um, send this to 20 people, ask them to do these five things, ask them to get a quote, ask them to contact you, ask them to, you know, whatever else right. it is. Um, if we've done the survey ahead of time, then we'll usually have a few more. So we took like for the church, we took the top 10 and we did a, a survey of like do these things. And we just had a button that like set of fireworks every time you clicked it. Um, and it was like task one complete, task two complete. Right. And that we just like sent that out to you know everyone in the, the that was in the network basically and we're like, hey, let us know whether we've nailed it or not. Um, mm. And yeah, we just we used Hotjar to do the uh, questionnaire for that one. We did heat maps, we did recordings, um, and uh, you know we also had at the end a place for them to be able to give feedback. And mm. it was just like, how easy or hard did you find this task? Were you able to complete it? Right. And stuff like that. So very cool. Um, and we also asked them like, what what was there? You know, are they are they a uh, uh, a regular user do they have like a strong association with them mm. that kind of thing because i think that's really important to know as well as like who found it hard to use yeah that's really good um, that's yeah that's yeah. the one thing that i try and put in all of our surveys for the content snare it's like what plan are they on what industry are they in that sort of thing because it really helps with work out who is who you know this isn't specifically for user um you know information and whatever but just yeah, that I just sort of wanted to highlight <laughs> actually knowing what kind of person it is yeah. as well is really important. Cool. Yeah. So is there anything we've missed out on? Oh look, uh I could literally talk about this for hours and uh we don't have that much time. Um so uh there's loads of resources out there. I'm actually gonna condense the talk that I did for um Word Sesh because I realized it's not on YouTube because I think you have to be like a WP Sessions member to access right. them after it's been. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm going to put together a blog post on all of this stuff because mm -hmm. there's a few things I haven't touched on, like, um, what to do about your homepage. We talked right at the start about, you know, scrolling versus going through the navigation. So mm. you've kind of got to make sure that the people that are scrolling get that same information, but fed to them, kind of drip fed to them instead of, you know, them going and finding it themselves. Like, is yeah. this what you want? Yes. Okay. Go here. Is this, no, that's not, okay. What about this instead? And, right. you know, making sure you give them ad breaks because nobody wants to be sold at, like, continuously. <laughs> and so it's kind of the opposite of ad breaks, I guess. It's like, you've got to give them some value and then sell them yeah, something. Don't just, don't just be like, sale, 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 or, you know, want, 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 want show them a blog post with something really valuable in it or give them oh, you know, right. a little bit of information and then ask them whether they are interested in a service. Don't don't just make it all about what you want to give them, but think about what they are looking for yeah. um, and, and kind of tell a story as you go down the homepage. Um, and don't be afraid of having a long scrolly homepage because, uh, you know, we are literally like people, people are developing like, 
problems with their fingers now from spending so much time on the mobile phones. Like we have no issue with scrolling guys. Like, <laughs> we have an issue with stopping scrolling. Like that's so true. You know, and- how many hours have you wasted on Facebook just scrolling through <laughs> your feed? Like nobody has a problem with scrolling down your homepage. So don't so worry about people- making it too long. So many people worry about like long home pages, you know, and I, I have definitely am a little bit resistant to it. My business partners probably more so. And I that's why I keep telling him, I'm like, if they want to stop scrolling, they will. Like yeah. they can go to another page. And and my favorite thing to that, they're like, oh, but what if they want to go back up to the top of the page and they're all the way down the bottom? I'm like, cool. So make it so that when you start scrolling up, you have a sticky header. Like, yeah. And because I don't like sticky headers on mobile. I think they take up too much yeah. um, of the... Yep, kind real of estate. Yeah. real estate on on there, but um, there's a really neat little like JavaScript um, like snippet that you can put on yeah. there, so that instead of being visible all the time, it's only visible as you scroll up. Oh, I love it. Um, I love that because then you Taking can see it straight away. Oh yeah, you should. Um, or just have a sticky like hamburger. That's fine. Everyone knows what the hamburger does. That's true. So, mm. Yeah, just have a sticky hamburger. You don't need a full sticky menu. So um, there's lots of ways. Like there's lots of ways to get around that argument, and I think it's um, it's been proven false. So yeah, there you um, go. All right, Joe. Um, yeah, if people want to learn more. Yeah. Uh, well, look, eventually your blog post when that goes live. Eventually my blog post, but I think I did give you some um, some good resources that I used actually to put together the presentation I did for WordCamp Asia. Um, on this topic um, and also the um, the word sesh one. Yeah, so and we will be linking up a bunch of this stuff if you guys want to know more because obviously we're, it's just, I don't want to keep you guys for hours. Uh, we could talk about this for so long. So for sure, there's going to be more learning. If you want more, go to agencyhighway.com slash 139. That's 139 um, and we'll link it all up there. But yeah, Joe, so what kind of stuff do you want to share with people and in, in what resources are you going to link to them? Yeah, look, I can't remember all of the ones that I put in there, but I think the two main ones that I would probably recommend people check out, if nothing else, um, subscribe to the Nielsen Norman newsletter. Um, the Nielsen Norman group, I think it's like nngroup.com or something like that. Um, they do a whole bunch of stuff around the user experience um, and they're, they're kind of at the forefront of this uh, field. Okay. Um, they do some really great um, evidence-based research um, and I think that's really important. Um, so, and they just, they have a really interesting way of presenting the information with lots of real life examples and stuff like that. So awesome. Um, that's probably the most valuable one. Um, it's probably the only newsletter that I actually read. Sorry, James. Um, <laughs> and um, and then if you kind of want to study it a little bit more and you're looking for um, maybe a way to upskill yourself in the UX space, um, I would ch- suggest checking out um, the Interaction Design Foundation, I think it's called, okay. um, and more Cohen from... Ah, yeah. Uh, you know more, right? Everyone, Everyone knows, knows more. more. Uh, yep. Yeah. So I think she was. The, I think she was the one that recommended that one to me in the first place. Uh, I could be wrong. Sorry if it wasn't you more, but um, mm. or if it was someone else. Um, but uh, that that was a great resource. I did. Um, I was a member there for quite a while, and I found that oh, really cool. valuable as well. So very good. Is this something you yeah. can help people with as well, or are you just happy to share the love? Like, where should people <laughs> go to find more about you and what you can? Help ah, with? more about me. Well, uh, look. Uh, if you want to listen to me ramble um, and uh, you don't want to kind of read my gigantic blog posts, uh, my personal uh, blog is dreamini.com. Uh I am on Twitter mm-hmm. and, um, you know, yeah. post on there occasionally. Joe Mini or? Uh, yeah, I think it's Joe underscore Mini. 
Yeah. Either way, it'll um, be linked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's that's probably the best place to like shout out to me if you want to chat about any of these things because I'm not a huge Facebook user. Mm-hmm. Um, I fall into the scroll hole too much to be on there all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, and LinkedIn obviously is a great place to jump on as well. But um, if you are on Facebook, probably the only page that I regularly check is the Women Who WP. So ladies, if you want to chat about fake pockets and commiserate with me, uh, come and join us on the Women Who WordPress group, um, and yeah, we can we can talk more and work out how we're going to take over the fashion industry and bring <laughs> pockets back. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, guys. Uh, so again, that was uh, interaction design found. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll link these up, of course, but uh, go check out Joe's stuff at joemini.com and M-I-N-N-E-Y. That is uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Again, this will be linked up at agencyhighway.com slash 139. Joe, thanks so much. This has been amazing. And I feel like I know so much more now. <laughs> It's been super fun. I'll, uh, I'll also send you through my um, presentation slides, James. You can probably, I don't know if you've got a way to attach them, yeah. but um, that might be useful for someone as well. 100%. Brilliant. Joe, you've been super helpful. Thank you so much. No problems. Thanks, James. Guys, if you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, I feel like I wish I knew about this, I don't know, only a couple of months ago before we started planning our new website. It's too damn late now. I'll have to do some testing and and mucking around and maybe rejigging some of our pages. But um, yeah, this has been super helpful for me. I hope it has been for you as well. Uh, yeah, if you've enjoyed it, please share it with someone you think will get something out of it or uh, go ahead and leave us a review. That really helps us get in front of more people. That's it. Uh, again, agencyhighway.com slash 139 for the notes. And I'll see you in the next episode. Discover how to grow your agency, earn more and work less at agencyhighway.com. Head over there to get resources from this episode and full transcripts. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Content Snare. If you're a digital agency or just need to get content or info from your clients, Content Snare can help you collect it on time and without enormous email trails. Give it a try at contentsnare.com.